But awesome. If we haven't met, my name is Andrew, and I'm thankful to be here, so thankful that you decided to join us this morning as well. And as Danny mentioned, today we are in the final week of a series called Shift, where for the past three weeks, we've been looking at some important values the church should be built on. Values such as unity, purity, as well as harmony. And if you've missed any of those talks, I wanna invite you to go to our website. You can go to our app and you can check them out there. But we've been looking at these values through the lens of a book in the New Testament called Ephesians. And Ephesians was originally a letter that was written by a man named Paul way back in the first century AD. And he wrote it to a church community that he had started years before in the ancient Greek city of Ephesus. And in this letter, in the first half of the letter, Paul focuses on telling them what they should believe. And then in the second half of the letter, he focuses on how they should behave. And I think the way that Paul structured and he wrote his letter was absolutely genius because he understood that as human beings, our beliefs determine our behavior, not the other way around. For example, I believe that this stage will hold me, that when I stand here, it's not just gonna fall through, which is why I'm standing here right now and why I got up here in the first place. Something else that I believe is that eating the food at McDonald's is terrible for your health, which is why when I go there, I'll try to limit myself to three sausage burritos rather than go for that fourth. See what I'm doing here? How our belief determines our behavior. And so as we've been going through this series, our hope as a community is, as we've been having these conversations, is that when it comes to these values, it would really shift what we believe, but at the same time, it would also shift how we behave. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning or you're watching online, first, let me say that we are absolutely thrilled that you chose to be here. And I'm particularly excited that you chose to be here today because I think this series is so important for you to hear. Because in this series, you'll be able to discover the principles as well as the values that God designed and dreamed that his church would be built upon. And today we're gonna to be looking at one final value, which is this value of victory. And just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a fist fight before? Show of hands. Okay, a number of you have. Men, women, children, doesn't matter. All of you had your hand up in the air. And in my 38 years of life, I have only been in one fist fight, and that was when I was 10. And when I was 10, my best friend's name, his name was Alan. And one day at school, we had a disagreement that quickly escalated to a place where we felt like we had no choice but to settle it via fisticuffs. And so we agreed that after school, that we would meet outside under the under, undercover area of our school and that we would settle things once and for all. And so the time finally came for this to happen. And so we met outside. And word had gotten around that we were doing this. And so a lot of the kids ended up staying and coming out because they wanted to see what I termed the fight of the century. <laughs> and so Alan and I were standing face to face, surrounded by all of these other kids. But before we got going, because we were civilized and responsible human beings, we agreed on some ground rules. And one of the ground rules that we agreed upon is that we would only hit each other from the neck down. Because even as children, we understood, you know what? This is the moneymaker. And so you do not wanna mess with this. And so we agreed on some other rules and then we got going. And this fight probably looked absolutely, so probably looked really sad and pathetic because basically for most of it, we were doing this. This is how we were fighting. 
And I remember at one point in the fight, we were both throwing a flurry of punches. And somehow, one of Alan's punches managed to penetrate my defenses and hit me square right across the face. And I remember the moment that his fist contacted my face, everything went into slow motion. And I started thinking, I thought we weren't supposed to hit each other in the face. And then right afterwards, I went down like a ton of bricks. And so in the only fight of my life, I got totally knocked out. <laughs> but the thing is, it's something that I know about every single one of us here in the room is that we've all been in a fight. Those of you who raised your hand, you've been in a fist fight. Probably every single one of us, we've been in an argument with somebody before. We've been in that type of fight. Maybe we fought against a circumstance, an injustice, or maybe against a disease, but we've all been in a fight. And in the passage of scripture that we're gonna be looking at today, the apostle Paul says to us that we are in a fight, a fight that some of us may not even realize that we are in. And many times, the Christian life is viewed through the lens of a fight or a, or a battle, more specifically, a spiritual battle. And one of the places that is depicted in this way is in the book of Ephesians. And it says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this stuff about, you know, spiritual battles, spiritual forces, angels, demons, and a devil, it may seem a little bit far-fetched to you. And if that's what you're thinking, you know what, that's okay. And before I became a Christian, I didn't believe in any of this stuff either. But I think what we can agree on and where we can find common ground is there is an element of darkness in this world, a darkness that pushes against the light. And this darkness impacts our lives. And this struggle between darkness and light is what Paul calls a spiritual battle. He just has different terminology for it. And in this spiritual battle, Paul tells us that there is an enemy, an enemy who is fighting against us. But this enemy is not who we think it might be. Because so often, the per, the, who, who, so often in our lives, who we think our enemy is, is other people, which is why we spend so much time fighting with one another. We think our enemy is our nagging spouse or our difficult and rebellious children. We think our enemy is our ex-husband or wife or our ungrateful boss, our difficult neighbor, or that person who betrayed us and hurt us so many years ago. We think our enemy are all of those people who have different political and religious views than us. But what Paul tells us is that no matter how difficult people may be at times, people are not our enemy, which means that we shouldn't be spending our time, our energy, and resources fighting against them. But he says to us, who our enemy is, is Satan and his demons, the darkness that is present in this world. And Satan as our enemy, one of his greatest tactics that he uses against us is deception. And this is what Paul writes. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
And the word schemes that Paul uses here has this idea, it's, it means a way of deceiving. And one of the ways that Paul tries to, or not Paul tries, that Satan tries to deceive us is through a strategy called misdirection. And misdirection is a strategy that has been, that has been used by generals in the past in wars, it's used in marketing, and it's also used by magicians. And misdirection is causing someone to focus their attention on something, sort of like this coin, causing someone to look at something so they'll be distracted and won't be able to see what is truly going on somewhere else. And I know what you guys are thinking right now. You guys are thinking that was the greatest magic trick I have ever seen in my life. You're welcome, that is my gift to you today. And I actually did it yesterday night and one of the people on our production team sarcastically said, you know what, that was so good. I thought that was God inspired. But nevertheless, <laughs> but even to get to that point over the past couple of days, I had to practice this more than a hundred times in the mirror in front of my wife. But anyways, obviously I am not a professional magician. But if you've ever seen a magician do this, the coin trick, the disappearing coin trick, is such a great example of misdirection, the strategy that Satan uses against us. Because in this coin trick, if you've seen it, what a magician, he or she will do is that they'll hold a coin, usually in their right hand, and their left hand will slowly approach. And then their left, with their left hand, they'll pretend to take the coin from their right hand. And so many magicians are experts in human behavior. And so they know that because when they move this left hand away and they're looking at it, and also because this hand is in motion, the audience will have a strong tendency to focus their attention on this hand. But the thing is, there's nothing going on in this hand. Everything is going on over here in this hand. It's misdirection. It's causing someone to focus their attention on one thing so they're distracted and they won't be able to realize what is truly going on somewhere else. And what Satan does to us is he tries to get us to think that we are our own we are each other's enemies, that I'm your enemy, that you're my enemy. So we're gonna spend all of our time, our energy and our resources fighting with one another. And we won't have anything left to then recognize that he ultimately is our enemy and that we need to be fighting against him. The principle of misdirection. And the thing is, is that Satan as our enemy, what he wants to do to us is that he doesn't wanna sit around a campfire singing Kumbaya, eating s'mores and giving us hugs. But as it says in the scriptures, he wants to completely destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our marriages and our families and our other relationships. He wants to break us apart. And that's why Peter, who was one of Jesus's disciples told us to stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to completely destroy. So there is a battle and there is an enemy. But the great news is, is that we also have protection. There is protection. And for a soldier, when a soldier goes out into battle, they wouldn't go out into battle dressed like I am. They would put on armor. They would put on not only defensive armor, but take with them offensive armor, offensive weapons as well, so that they can effectively fight against their enemy. And understanding that we are in a battle, understanding that we are in a fight as well, God provides us with armor, God provides us with protection as well. And it's listed in Ephesians. 
It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And each of these pieces of armor was for a soldier way back in the first century AD, right? So today, soldiers, (laughs) great, they beat me to the punch. So Danny, what he did was, because it was, we were looking, hey, what does this actually look like? What would this actually look like on someone? So Danny, he decided to model it for us earlier today. And so this is what a soldier would look like back in the first century AD. And, but he's missing one crucial piece of armor. And so we're going to put that on. It's the helmet. And so, these, so every single piece of armor that's mentioned by Paul in this passage is on Danny right now. And the first piece of armor we're told to put on is the belt of truth. And a belt for a soldier back then, it was a foundational piece of armor because the belt held everything together. You took a soldier, soldier took his belt off, everything would fall off as well. Because a belt, among other things, it would hold the breastplate in place. It was where the sword hung. It, uh, the belt would protect a soldier's thighs as well, just to name a few things. And just as the belt was foundational for a soldier, truth is foundational for us in our battle as well against our enemy. And what truth is, is what God tells us in the scriptures about who he is, who we are, and how we should live. And the reason why we need truth in our struggle, in our battle, is because what it tells us in the scriptures is that Satan is the father of lies. And one of his primary weapons against us is deception. And so if we're not armed with the truth of God, there is no way that we are going to be able to stand against our enemy. But in addition to the belt of truth, we also need the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate, what it would do is that it would protect a soldier basically from their waist up to their neck. And its primary function was to protect vital organs like the heart. And we're told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what righteousness is, is having a right relationship with God, which can only come through believing and following Jesus. And this righteousness, not our own righteousness, but God's righteousness is the only thing that can protect our hearts against the lies and accusations of Satan. And then the third piece of armor we're to put on is to put on, the, uh, is to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And what we're supposed to put on is not the gospel of peace, but the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Because for a soldier, a soldier had to always be ready to go into battle because the enemy wouldn't tell them where they were coming or when they were coming to attack because it didn't happen just from nine to five and they said, hey, you know what? It's closing time, it's quitting time, we gotta go. That's not what happened in a battle in that your enemy can come and attack you at any time, early in the morning, late at night, sometimes some, at some point in the day. And so a soldier would always have to be ready to fight. And in a similar way, we also have to be ready at all times to be in this struggle as well. Always be ready to share the hope that you have, it says here. Share the hope of this gospel, this extraordinary good news of what Jesus has done. Always be ready to share that whenever, with whomever, 
and wear ever. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But then the fourth piece of armor, in addition to the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and having our feet fitted with the readiness comes, that comes from the gospel of peace, were to have the shield of faith. And the shield that Paul was talking about was about two feet wide and about four feet long. And it would be wrapped with canvas. And then on the front, it would be covered with leather. And if a soldier knew that going out into battle that day, his enemy was going to shoot flaming and fiery arrows at him, what he would do is that he would soak his shield in water so that when he went out and those arrows came and they hit his shield, that they would immediately be extinguished. And what Paul says is that this is what faith can do. That when Satan shoots those flaming and fiery arrows at us in the form of doubt and discouragement and hopelessness and despair, what can extinguish those arrows is faith. And I was doing some reading about this shield that he's talking about here. And one of the most effective ways that soldiers could use their shield back then was not if they were just simply standing by themselves and trying to go solo and trying to use their shield just to protect them. But one of the most effective ways was that if they entered into this formation called a testudo. And testudo is the Latin word for tortoise. And it was because when soldiers would enter into this formation, as you see here on the screen, it would look like a tortoise. And this formation would protect these soldiers. And it was so powerful because almost nothing could penetrate it. And just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have seen the movie 300? Okay, a number of you have. It's one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. And it's a story, it's based on a true story of 300 Spartans in the Battle of Thermopylae, which happened in the 5th century BC. And it was when 300 Spartans went head to head with the Persian Empire. And if you've seen the movie, all of these 300 Spartans are totally ripped. It was like they were born this way, just came out of the womb this way. Everyone has like an eight pack, they have, huge, they have a huge chest and their arms is, are like as big as my head. But it's a story about these 300 Spartans going up against this vast army. And whenever the Persians were about to shoot all of these arrows at these Spartans, they would enter into this formation called a testudo. And if you've seen the movie, you know that there were so many arrows that were shot at these Spartans that it actually blotted out the sun. But because they were in this formation, they were protected. Because they were together, they were protected and were able to defend themselves. And what came to mind is really that when we are able to do this, when we stand together in this battle and we're not just simply by ourselves, it reminded me of the power of community. Because if a soldier is just simply standing by himself out in battle, sure, that's, that shield will protect them to a certain degree, but they're still largely exposed. They're still very vulnerable. But when they stand side by side and they enter into a formation like this, they're able to better fight and better defend themselves. It's the power of community and the fact that we are better together. And this is what Paul talks about all throughout this letter that we call Ephesians. Because if you see in this letter, whenever Paul uses the word you, he's not using the second person singular, but rather he's using the second person plural. And what he's saying to us, and because remember, he was writing to, not to an individual, but rather to a church community. 
And he was telling them, I want you to do these things that I'm telling you to do together, not just as individuals, but as an entire community because there's power in numbers, because there's power in community, because you are better together. And the reality is, is that he was writing to a Greek community and this community understood community probably a lot better than we do here in the US because they lifted up, even this community, they lifted up, they didn't lift up the individual as we often do in our culture, but rather they lifted up the value of community. So they understood this very well and it's a value and it's something that we have to really concentrate on as well and really focus on and realize that we truly are better together. There's power when we come together. But in addition to these four pieces of armor, Paul also tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. And the helmet, and the helmet, what it does is that, of course, it protects the head, which houses our brain, which we use to think. And what Satan so often tries to do to us is to fill our minds with lies and accusations. And when we understand who we are, the fact that we are saved, and, the, and then also the fact that our identity comes from God, it doesn't matter what he says to us. We can stand in the truth of who we are in God. And even yesterday, as I was coming to this place for our Saturday evening service, and I was just simply driving, for some reason, all of these thoughts flooded into my mind. And what these thoughts said to me was that, you know what, you can't do this. You're totally inadequate. You're by yourself. You might as well just quit and not even show up today and go home. And I was just driving and it just, told me about the fact that, you know what? I need this armor so desperately, the helmet of salvation, because this is what our enemy tries to do to us, to fill our minds with these types of lies, with these types of accusations. And if we don't have this armor on, there's no way we're gonna be able to stand against him. And then the last piece of armor Paul tells us to take up is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And for a soldier back then, a sword was his best friend. He would spend hours every single day with his sword, sharpening it, practicing with it. And a sword would eventually become an extension of his arm so that when he went into battle, he could wield it very effectively. And just as a sword was a soldier's best friend and he was able to use it very effectively. If we're gonna use our sword, which is the word of God, the scriptures just as effectively, it means that we have to know it just as well, which means that we have to read the scriptures. We have to think about the scriptures, even memorize the scriptures. And so what Paul does is that he lists six pieces of armor. And as you think about these six pieces of armor, is there anything that you notice about them. And when I looked at these six pieces of armor, what I noticed is that five of them, the first five are defensive and only one is offensive and that's the sword, which means that if we go into battle without a sword, we have nothing to engage our enemy with. He's gonna be able to hit us all day long and we have nothing to hit back with, which is why the sword is so important. And one of the greatest examples in the scriptures of the use of the word of God as a sword against Satan is when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And when he was in the wilderness, Satan tempted it on three separate occasions. And every single time how Jesus fought against Satan and actually won and beat him was using the word of God as a sword. 
And I actually experienced this a number of years ago when I was at, working at a church out in New Jersey. And as a staff, we came together, as a church staff, we came together one day and we said, hey, you know what? I think it's really important to, we think it's really important to memorize the scriptures. So let's do this together. And so we came together and we compiled a stack of scripture passages that we wanted to memorize together. And I think we compiled more than like a hundred. And so it ended up being a couple hundred verses, I think. And so we're talking about thousands of words. And so we looked at this stack and we still wanted to do it, but we realized that unless we were militant about it, most of us were probably gonna quit after the first week. And so we all agreed that what we would do is that every week we would come together and sort of test each other on these verses. And we said that if anybody even got one word wrong, missed a word, replaced one word with another, messed up a word, that every word that they got wrong, they would have to pay a dollar. And so I didn't wanna have to pay. We're talking about thousands of words here. And so every single day I made these flashcards and every single day, whenever I had a moment, I would just go through the flashcards and go through these verses over and over and over again. And what I found was that after months of doing this, I had all of these verses locked away up here. And the cool thing is, is that as I would go through my day, Verses would just pop into my mind and God would speak to me through these verses. If I was driving and somebody just cut me off and I was tempted to say something or show them something unkind or loving, verse would pop into my mind about love and forgiveness. When lies entered into my mind, just like they did yesterday, saying that, you know what, you're totally inadequate, you're alone, you're totally worthless and unloved, just give up and quit and go home. A verse would pop into my mind about the fact that God was with me, that he is for me. And because he is, that I am more loved, more cared for, more valued than I could ever understand or imagine. I saw this principle play out there when I had all of these verses up here, they would just come. And with them, I was able to stand against the enemy. And so there is a battle, there is an enemy, but at the same time, there is protection. But the reality is, is that we need to put on this armor. Because if we just look at it every day, totally useless to us. Just like if a soldier didn't have his or her armor on, completely useless to them as well. And we need to have this armor on in order to stand. Because this is what Paul writes, going back to verse 13. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. And what Paul says that's so interesting to me is that he tells us that he says, when the day of evil comes. He doesn't say if the day of evil comes, he says when the day of evil comes, which means that for every single one of us here, including me, evil is going to enter into our lives at some point we're gonna to be touched by darkness in our lives. And unless we have this armor on, there is no way that we are going to stand when this day comes. And what it means to stand is that it means to stand firm in our faith, is that when Satan comes up against us, not retreating into old patterns of behavior, negative and destructive patterns of behavior, but standing firm in our faith. When we're attacked, not allowing doubts to overwhelm us, doubts about who we are and ultimately who God is. And if we're going to do this 
as I mentioned, the only way we can do this is if we actually have each of these pieces of armor on us. And we're not just simply missing one or have nothing on, but we are fully equipped and fully protected. But this is the great news, is that even though we are in a battle, when you look at the war, when you take a 30,000 view, 30,000 foot picture of what is going on, the great news is, is that when it comes to the war, you know what? God has won. And he won 2,000 years ago when his son Jesus entered into human history, was tried, tortured, and killed, and rose again. So what the great news is, is that there is victory. And when we put on this armor and we stand, we're able to stand in the reality of that victory. So what that means is that, you know what? We don't have to live as victims anymore. We can live as victors. That no matter what comes against us, no matter what our enemy throws against us, no matter what challenges, obstacles, storms enter into our life, our lives can still be characterized by things like hope and love, life, freedom, joy, and peace. And it's not because of who we are or who you are, but rather it's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I've had the privilege of being a part of this community now for eight months. And in the eight months that I've been here, which isn't a lot of time, I've seen so many stories. I've had the privilege of walking with many people who have experienced extraordinary transformation in their lives. People who are now experiencing this victory that we're talking about today. People who used to be walking in a certain direction and their lives were characterized by things like brokenness and addiction and despair and hopelessness. But when Jesus entered into their lives, he totally transformed them. And they did a total 180 and started walking in the other direction. And now they're living lives that are very, very different. They're living as victors. They're living lives of victory. And some of these people are in a video that you're gonna see in a moment. And in this video, as these people are just sharing snippets of their story, what you see is this is what it looks like to live a life of victory, to live in the reality of what we're talking about today. And as we're watching this video, I wanna also invite the ushers to come forward to receive our offering today. And if this is the first time, if this is your first time here, please do not feel any obligation to give because like I sometimes like to say, the first time's free, the first time's on us. But what we'd love for you to do, if this is your first time, we'd love for you to go out into the lobby afterwards and drop by our starting point table. You'll see those people, they have bright orange shirts with the word starting point on the front. And we'd love to meet you and to answer any questions that you may have about our community. And if you're somebody who gives, thank you so much for catching the vision of what God is doing in and through our community. So check out this video.